So this is week two of our Philippian study, what I call Real Joy for Real Life. Last week we introduced that to you. And there was one verse, I don't know if you remember or not, but I directed your attention to verse 25 just briefly. And there's a phrase at the latter part of Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, that, that really carries, in essence, the weight of the entire theme for the book of Philippians. And, and it very clearly says this, for your progress and joy in the faith. So there's one overarching theme that we will see all the way through the book of Philippians, for your progress and joy in the faith. We are all what? We're all in root. If this is day one for you or day thousand for you as a follower of Jesus, we are all, Lord willing, maturing and growing. <clears throat> we live, as you all know, in a beautiful, beautiful place. We are blessed to live where we are. We enjoy the beauties of creation all around us every single day. I was driving home from the office this past Tuesday, and I saw unusually close, literally um, right next to the side of the road, in a tree was a bald eagle that was perched that close. I immediately slowed down, upset the guy behind me, but that's all right. Everyone slowed down. And you automatically are just struck with the, the beauty, the spectacular wonder of God's creation on display whenever you see what a bald eagle, our national symbol. And you could see it. I mean, it was right there, pure white, sparkling head and tail feathers that were glistening against the dark, deep brown or the rest of the body. You could literally see his, his yellow hooked, razor sharp beak. It is a majestic bird of prey. It has an average wingspan of five and a half to seven and a half feet. And I could very, very easily, just in that minute, I could very easily envision that bald eagle just soaring over a river or a lake and spotting a, a fish, and, and swooping down, and snatching in its talons a fish to, to take back to its young and in the nest. But what was interesting is that that eagle lighted from the tree and swept down literally directly in front of me. I was feet from it. And he started picking at Literally, a dead, decaying, stinking, rotting piece of roadkill. It looked like maybe it may have been a squirrel or something similar at one point a long time and many tire tracks ago. It was disgusting to look at. And my image... The image in my mind, what this impressive, majestic eagle, it, it, it quickly diminished. He's eating dead, rotting animals on the side road. My image was quickly deflated. No doubt, we know, the eagle is an impressive Amazing creature, but do you realize far, far, far more impressive is 
any and every human being who has been created in the image of God, literally with a purpose to reflect his glory, to pursue holiness, to live in such a way that what? God is delighted with our life. And I was struck with this thought that too many times, oftentimes, even in our created wonder, we settle for what? Picking at and feeding on the stinking and the rotting, maggot-infested things of this world. What's wonderful is that God never, ever, ever, ever gives up on us. Never gives up on us. Why? Because we are in progress. We are slowly growing and maturing. For your progress and your joy in the faith. Make no mistake that it is challenging for us every single day. But when we understand God's unconditional love and his grace and his mercy, yes, it's not always pretty, it's not always pleasant, but Lord willing, we are in progress, what? Toward holiness, that God is doing a work in us, sanctifying, setting us apart as we pursue what's glory for him, not for us, glory. And in that progress, there's an ever-increasing sense of joy. We talked about the fact that, that this book is, is unique from a lot of the other letters that Paul has written. There's really no condemnation. There's no criticism. There's no correction in the entire book of Philippians. You know that Paul is the author of this book. And we learn that he, he planted the church along with Silas on a second missionary journey. Now he's writing this book while he's under house arrest in Rome about 60 AD. And he writes what to the believers in Philippi. Philippi is a city in northern Greece, a Roman colony. And what I'm struck with this is that Paul literally is in prison. He's being persecuted for his faith. And yet joy just kind of bubbles up constantly. And he's writing to the, what, to the Christians, the saints in Philippi. They too are being persecuted for their faith. They are impoverished. They are very poor. And yet they too, what, evidence joy in their life. A reminder, reminder that what? Well, what is joy? It's not dependent upon outward circumstances, but an inward knowledge, an inner conviction. To understand that what we know, God sovereignly controls every single circumstance for our good and for his glory. Look, last week, the fact that joy is, is needed in our world, you wouldn't argue with that, and that joy is promised. We continue on today, and we're going to read a couple verses again. It's a brief text before us, but there's a lot here. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Today we're going to learn about the evidence of joy. 
that is seen in our lives. And we'll see, number one, we'll see the evidence of joy when we are thankful in our relationships. Number one, the evidence of what? The fact that we need this desperately in our world when you and I display, like Paul does, what a gratitude or a thankfulness in our relationships. That's how Paul begins. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. I've oftentimes used the phrase to describe Paul and his character is the fact that he lived with an attitude of gratitude. He lived ever thankful. He lived ever grateful. You know what I was thinking? Maybe it was his, he just knew it was awful. He had an awful, awful past. Sure, he was well-educated. He was intelligent. He was a scholar. He was well-respected before he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was also a brutal man. He lived a hateful, hate-filled life toward Christians. He literally wanted to destroy what took place in places just like this. Acts chapter 9, we read of his conversion. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is blinded. He's taken under the care of Ananias who teaches him and and he has to escape from, from Damascus as a brand new follower of Jesus. It says he makes his way from Damascus to Jerusalem. And it says this literally in, in, in verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. That Paul attempted to join the disciples. But then there's this phrase. They were all afraid of him. Every one of the disciples. Paul, we're scared to death of you. That's the type of person that he was. Yet in spite of his violence and his murderous intentions Christ forgave him Christ forgave him I think it's because of that single truth that it drives him with a constant sense of appreciation and gratitude and gratefulness he writes this of his own testimony in 1 Timothy chapter 1 I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer and a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul lived what he wrote words like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in everything, in everything give thanks. You mean when the day goes well? No. In everything we are to give thanks. He writes in Ephesians chapter 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God. And so in our text he begins literally with this word, I thank. The word is Eucharistio. It's the same word that we get Eucharist from or the Lord's table. What is the Lord's table, the communion table, where we pause to give thanks to God for the sacrificial death of his own son, Jesus, on our behalf. And Paul specifically mentions what he is grateful for at the top of the list. After he acknowledges the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I'm thankful for what? My brothers and my sisters in Christ that are at Philippi. You know what I envision as he's writing this, penning this letter under house arrest? 
is that when he writes, I thank the Lord for you, that he puts his little pen down, he puts his little stylus down, whatever he's writing with, and he just pauses, and his mind just floods and goes back. He remembers Lydia. And he remembers what, just the comfort and the warmth, the hospitality when she, what, invited Paul and Silas and others into her home. Oh, she was a good cook. And she had a beautiful home. And whatever was hers, she allowed to become ours. He was grateful for Lydia. I'm I'm sure that he, he remembered the look on that little girl's face we talked about last week. When she was finally freed from a demonic influence and presence that had held her captive, that, that men had exploited her because of this. And Paul remembers the look on her face when she finally was freed from that demonic influence. I'm sure that he remembers the look on the jailer's face, the Philippian jailer, when, when the jailer ran into the deepest, darkest part of the prison. And remember, he had the torch with him so he could see. And, and, and he fell on his knees. I'm sure, I'm certain, that Paul delighted in the look of complete surrender. And then as they went back to what? To the Philippian jailer's home. I'm sure that Paul remembers what every single the fa- every single one of the family members who came up out of the waters of baptism. And you know, it's it's not always a pretty sight when somebody comes up out of the waters of baptism and their hair's wet and their nose is running. But there's those wet bear hugs and times of laughter and, and joy. And Paul remembers these times. That he enjoyed being together. The conversations that they had. The times, what, of just spontaneous worship where they broke out in song. The times of prayer. That's a church. Living life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Good days and bad days, but we live this together. And Paul thinks about that. He thinks about their eagerness to learn. Their willingness to sacrifice so much with such joy. How they gave with such generosity and and freedom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Can 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 I hit pause for a moment and ask you this question? Are you as thankful? for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you stop from the busyness and the hecticness in your prayers and say, Lord, I just just thank you for the ones who have come across my path, who have helped me in times of need? Are you thankful for the relationships that have been built and, Lord willing, will continue to be built right here as a local church at Big Woods Bible Church? Are you thankful for that? Do you remember those people Do you pause in your prayers and specifically express gratitude to the Lord for other people? I I need reminders. I forget things. And so I I have reminders. I told you that I'll I'll, I'll find a rock somewhere, a particular place, or with people, and I'll hold on to a rock as a reminder. I just, I just, I love to collect things. I've always been that. Even when I was a kid, 
You know that we had quite a moving day a couple weeks ago from our old church building to the new church building, and, and I had to clean out my office. Do you know what I found in my office? I found 111 baseballs. 111 baseballs. I didn't realize there was that many. I would just collect them. No doubt there was, there were, what, there was a ball, a foul ball that we called it the old vet. Remember the old vet in Philadelphia? There was a time that Seth struck out the side three times in a row in one game. I kept those types of balls. But do you realize that most of the balls, as I was looking at them, were connected to people? College team I played on, it signed, and, and there's six pastors, six pastors on that team. Uh, the team I coached years ago, two of those guys are elders now in their local church, and one of them contacted me recently just to say that he was praying for me and that he was grateful for the time I coached him. And, and there's just little reminders that we hold on to. No, no doubt a, a, a trip that we were on or a stadium that we visited, but most of them, I actually, just this morning, there was one sitting in, in the Jeep, in, 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 in between the seats, and it was given to me by a brother in the Lord not that long ago. And he said this, I wrote it down to Pastor Tim, who through the word always stirs my heart. I kept that. I ought to keep that. It's a silly ball, but no, it's connected to a person who is encouraged, not from a person, but he's encouraged each week through this word. We need reminders like that of one another that God has brought into our lives. Why? You can be assured of this. Write this down. There is a straight, short line to joy by being grateful and thankful for other people. You can be assured of that. There is a straight, short line to joy, real joy, by being grateful and thankful to other people. Secondly, what? The evidence of joy is not only that we're thankful in our relationships, but number two, that we are faithful in our prayers. Well, we need to be a praying church. Oh, how my prayer, and the elders alongside, that we would, we, would, we would become well at one thing, and that is people of prayer. The word prayer used twice just in this verse, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. In one verse, one phrase for the most part, that word is used twice. It, it literally means to, to pray, means to request. It's an entreaty or a supplication. In the New Testament, that word is always used in its direction toward one, toward God and God alone. You don't pray to anyone, anything else, ever, under any circumstance, because God is the only one. I was thinking about this. Paul is experiencing horrible, miserable, painful treatment. He's imprisoned, and he is what? We've heard this word recently. He is being accused falsely. And he's actually being accused by people who would be considered teachers and preachers of the word. And people are still attacking him. It says this in verse 17. 
thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. The New American Standard says what? Intending to cause him distress. And he says, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Isn't that interesting that Christians often what? They, 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 they shoot their wounded. They kick those who are already down. And that's what people are doing literally at the life of Paul at this particular time. But you can be assured what? If there's a straight short line to joy by being grateful for other people, let, let, let me assure you there is a straight short line to joy by praying Praying for other people. It is no secret we live in a joyless world. People are grabbing and searching for anything just to like satisfy, even if for a moment. Depression runs at an all-time high. Anxiety and worry and stress at an all-time high. Suicide. The second leading cause of death for young people 18, 15 to 24 years old. They say that oftentimes they will use a scale on 1 to 10, 1 being the least depressed to 10 being the most depressed. Where are you on that scale of depression? If you were to ask the Apostle Paul in the midst of chains at this point, imprisonment, unable to just move about the city freely, on a scale of 1 to 10, do you know where Paul would be? A zero. He'd be at a zero because he knew how to deal with this subject. You know how? Others. Others. Think, think about this. When you are praying for the needs, specifically for the spiritual needs, the souls and the hearts, for, for that which is eternal, for healing and hope, in homes, and in marriages, and families, in the lives of other people, then what? You have very, very little time to focus on yourself. I had a ministry years ago while I was in college to, to a nursing home. And not to say, but there were many times, Tuesday, 3.30, I would have to leave practice early and I would grumble all the way to the nursing home. Can't believe I've got to do this. Why do I have to do this? Think about that heart in ministry. And I would, uh, I would arrive at this same nursing home. I'd make my way through and, and every single week I'd find myself in the very end of the hall, the last room on the right, sitting with a woman, an older woman, a Jewish woman who actually was a survivor of the Holocaust. Her name was Margarita Mednis. And she had no one. Her husband had died years before. And she literally had no one. And my ministry, my so-called ministry, was to go and to, to, to pray with them and encourage them. And as I would spend time with Margarita, all she could talk about, all she could ask questions about was me. How, how's, how's ball going? How you doing? He said it was a tough game last week. How'd you do this week? 
Do you know that was dating Wendy at the time? How, how's Wendy? Are you, are you praying with her? And she would ask me questions, and she would ask me about my mother and my father and their ministry, and she'd ask me about my sisters, and, and, and I would tell her, and I, was, I, I, would, I would just just pour out my life to her, and I'm supposedly to come to minister to her, and I would leave every single week. I would leave like, wow, what an amazing encouragement this woman wants to me. Because it wasn't about her. She lived with what? A concern. She lived with a concern for other people. If you, if you look at the model that Jesus gave us, the model that Jesus left us in Luke chapter 11, on how we are to pray, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how do we pray? And we know, we memorized it in Sunday school years ago, what? And he said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We recognize first and foremost who God is. What is the very first thing, the top of the list? This is how I want you to pray. Pray what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How, how, how does the kingdom of God come? It's, it's not a kingdom that is built with brick and mortar and hands. It's not that type of a kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of of God is built by the souls of mankind coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Do you realize that's the very first thing that we are to be praying for? The very first thing. Lord, what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not us. Not me. Not what I want. Paul literally is saying, don't pray that you pass the test. A lot of our prayer... Pray that, that we get the promotion. But Paul's not saying that. Paul is not saying, well, pray that no one ever gets sick. And then immediately, if someone gets sick, pray immediately they get healed. He's, he's not teaching us to pray like that. Why? Because maybe God will be glorified in your sickness. Maybe God will be made known or manifested to others by the way that you hold yourself and demonstrate yourself in the midst of weakness or sickness or illness. Paul writes what in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Most gladly, rather, would I glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may be upon me. When I am weak, I am strong. Not in my own strength, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live like that, and people follow that example. Every one of you uh, in our purposeful living are impacting the lives of others, moms and dads, particularly those children that you have been responsible to lead and to nurture and disciple. And they're following your example. Others who are less mature than you spiritually are looking at you and are, Lord willing, learning from you. How does the Apostle John say it in, in, in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4? He says, I have no greater joy. There's that word again, Kara. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's not just your own children or grandchildren. That's those that are spiritually younger than you. You're an example to others. And John says, I have no greater joy. And to hear what? The example I've given is allowing them to grow and to follow. Paul says we're to pray without 
ceasing. I read this week the book of the month, John O., John Owencheka. And he says this, and I quote, what? Great little book. I encourage you, implore you to read it. He says, praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven unifies us. Because it helps us long for his kingdom. It keeps us from backbiting and from jockeying for position. From longing to establish little kingdoms of our own. Oh, how we need to be what? What? Faithful in our prayers. Thirdly and finally, the way that we have evidence of joy in our lives is that we are useful in our work of the gospel. That we are useful in our work of the gospel. Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul in this letter is writing what? I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for you. Paul in his letter has, has written what? I'm, I'm praying for you. Paul in his letter is writing what? I have joy in my heart when I think of you. And now he explains, well, why does he have joy in his heart? Why? Let me tell you why. Because I've never been alone since day one. I have joy in my heart because of your partnership with me in the gospel. We talked last week about what? Way back in 2014, I believe, we celebrated our 30th anniversary as a church and we gathered together to pray specifically and we wrote names of people and directly below where I'm standing right now on that pavement I wrote that verse because of your partnership in the gospel partnership is interesting it's the same word you've heard this word before in Greek it's koinonia usually we translate it as fellowship here it's what? Because of your partnership, because of your fellowship. It literally means what? Sharing. Oh, don't we love to share? Don't we love to share? Sure. Have a bite of my chocolate bar. I don't mind. Don't we love to just naturally share? And yet this word, what? Koinonia here, this word partnership or fellowship, literally means sharing, participation. It means communion. It means union. Oneness, it's a term that conveys a sense of commonality, of solidarity, and I love this, shared responsibility. Paul says, from the very beginning, when this church was birthed, Paul says, you have been here with me, and I am not alone. Why? Because the design of the body of Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are many members Many members, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, are all were made to drink of one spirit. Oh, the joys, the joys that come when we do ministry alongside of one another. I left on Wednesday night late after the elders meeting. Those guys, wow, they are workers. And as I was driving home at 11 o'clock at night, I didn't see an eagle on the side of the road. I wouldn't have noticed it. But I was thinking about the fact 
that I have partners in ministry. And guess what? It wasn't just the elders that came to my mind. As a matter of fact, as elders, we were praying specifically and praising God and rejoicing for all of the partners that we together have in ministry. I heard just this week praise reports <clears throat> about the many people from this church <clears throat> excuse me, that were involved with the Good News Club at Woodward School. And I got reports, a great group out. And it was wonderful to see so many serving. I had reports just this week of several people said, Pastor, I, I talked to my neighbor and I'm, I'm inviting them to church and they're coming with me. And some of you are here because of that. That's a partner in the ministry. Yesterday morning at 8 o'clock, a Saturday morning, a day that we can sleep in, a day that we can check off the, the many items on our to-do list. And there was a great group of men who gathered to pray specifically together, and they prayed for one another. And they served. On Tuesday night, I asked our home group, would someone be willing to share how the gospel has transformed their life? I could barely finish the sentence, and Gary Barrett said, I would love to do that. I'd love to do that. And he did it. Why? Because the list is long. And it's getting longer of how many people are involved in ministry. We're partners in what? Why? We're partners with a single message and a single mission. The gospel of Jesus Christ. A holy God created us with purpose. We are sinful men fallen since the very beginning who long to be in relationship and fellowship, but we can't because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he offered his own son, Jesus, to pay the price for Tim Boger's sin. And there's a lot of that. But God offered his own son to pay the price for your sin so that when you put your faith and your trust in the finished work of Jesus, you trust him as Lord and Savior, that you can be in relationship and fellowship, not just for the time that we have here on this earth, but for all of eternity, and we live with purpose. That's why we exist as a church. I love how Pastor Josh this week worded and produced posters and, and postcards that we're going to send out and put up all over our community, inviting all the community to our, to our open house later this month, October the 28th, and he worded it like this, new address, new time, same incredible good news. Amen for that. So rather than focusing on how different, yeah, well, yeah, this is like my seat, I don't know where to sit. Rather than focusing on, focus on how similar, how we all struggle with that which is new. But rather than complaining, pick up a broom. Or better yet, BYOV, bring your own vacuum on Friday night. And as you're vacuuming your section, pray for the people that will sit in those seats. Pick up your phone and, and, and text a friend. Or better yet, walk over to your neighbor's house and sit with them. <clears throat> And talk with them. 
and listen to them and go get them and bring them with you. Open the door for them and show them where to sit. Yes, it's, it's, it's different and it's odd and it's awkward. I'm not used to this. Think of how different it would be for them. But you're here. And you're guiding them and you're showing them and you're sharing with them. And I know, I, I don't doubt the fact that some of you are in the midst of really, really difficult struggles. Some of you are in the midst of turmoil. I met and prayed with some of you this week. So I want you to reflect and remember what? That although Paul was imprisoned and persecuted, although the saints in Philippi were being persecuted and impoverished, there is what? There, there, there is nothing. There's no connection. There's no correlation to anything. There's no reason for joy. There's no reason for happiness. Apart from a knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for them and what lies in store. And they got it. They got it. And they display what true biblical joy, the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls all circumstances for your good and for his glory. I'll close with this, and it will sound familiar to you. Prophet Isaiah says, have you not known? The prophet Isaiah writes, have, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint, weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even, even youths, youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May we be reminded that God has called us to a great purpose for his glory, not to get caught up in the things of this world, but live for him and know the joy, the real joy that comes as a follower of Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that speaks to us. I would ask God that you would guide us and direct us as we learn and grow to be faithful followers of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.